and he goes to church and he remembers and he talks about it and he, accept, he had accepted Jesus so he goes to this service and he, he just wanted that connection there to be there so badly. But you see, he's still a drug, addicted to drugs. And that just doesn't go away in an instant. So he said he went home from church and he had his little girl and it was just them and he turns on cartoons and he sits there in front of the TV and then he goes into his bedroom and he crushes up crystal meth and he snorts it. And he talks about how he was high as a kite and he's in tears and he doesn't really want to live anymore and he just reaches out to God and he, he says he remembers crying out, God, if you're real, if you're real, I need you now. I need you now. And he says that in that moment, all he felt was the overwhelming love of a father, something that he had never had before. He talks about how what he had expected to feel was condemnation and, and, and judgment, but he didn't get that from God. He just had this overwhelming feeling of love. And so the next day he wakes up from a stupor, he throws all his drugs away, he quits his band. He tells his little girl, Daddy's going to stay home with you from now on and, and, and be with you always. And so he turns his life around and he focuses on raising that little girl. If you have eight minutes to spare at any point in your life, he tells his testimony in one of the I Am Second videos. And if you ever want to hear about stories of just overwhelming grace, that Christ has shown to people in some of the darkest situations, I would suggest you just YouTube, I am second. And a couple hours later, you'll find yourself with tears in your eyes and an overwhelming appreciation for what it is that Christ can do for every single one of us. You see, Brian Head Welch, his story is a perfect example that experiencing God's grace changes our life's direction. Experiencing God's grace changes our life's direction. And through His grace, God gives us all a new pursuit. Now, you know about me. I, I like Scripture and sermons. I like it a lot. Uh, I use Scripture and sermons like Paula Dean uses butter. There can never be too much. All right? But having said that, we are going to focus on one passage today, and we're going to stay there. And that passage is Galatians 5, 19 through 26. And this is what it says. The acts of flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, fractions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Here's the thing, and if you haven't figured this out in life, I'm going to tell you this now so that you can fully start to grasp it. The pursuit of pleasure will leave you empty and separate from the king. The pursuit of pleasure will ultimately leave you empty and separate from the king. We can't pursue both life's pleasure and God. See, Paul breaks down sins into various groups, and he, he breaks them down into four categories. Now, the first three are sexual sins. 
sexual immorality. That deals with the actual act, okay? The actual act of being sexually immoral. Maybe it's adultery. Maybe it's sex outside of marriage. Maybe it's some sort of sexual relationship that you have that's just not healthy, right? But we can degrade ourselves in God's creation by the way that we act in a sexual manner. The second thing that it talks about is impurity. That has to do with everything that's up in here, with our thought life. Are your thoughts pure? Are your thoughts holy? What is driving your constant desires in life? Are you always seeking out pleasure? Are you always seeking out to feel good? Are you always seeking to put yourself first? Are you consumed with the idea of sex? Do you struggle with pornography? Is lust a terrible thing for you? I don't know. The last is debauchery. And debauchery, honestly, may be the worst of them all. It's an open and brazen display of this behavior without any second thought. Almost as if saying, this is how I live my life. I dare you to question it. Now to me, to me, I'll tell you, I think that's worse. And listen, I think that this can apply to all sins and I'll explain why. It's one thing to struggle with sin and it's one thing to sin. It's a completely other thing to live life as if your sin somehow is no big deal. There's a certain thing to say about sinning with humility of knowing that what you've done is wrong and, and, and feeling bad about that. I'm not necessarily talking about hiding it from people. We shouldn't hide it. We should repent of it. We should seek counsel from others and we should seek to find forgiveness through relationships that we have with others. But there's a certain goodness in not being proud of the wrong that you've done. Okay, some of you say, hey, this sin right there, that's not me. I, that's not something I struggle with. This is what I'll say for you. Congratulations. Good for you. Good for you. The next two sins are religious sins. And the first one he mentions is idolatry. Now, idolatry is this. It's putting anything in the place that God should be. Maybe you're worshiping another God. That is the purest definition of idolatry. But maybe it's not that. Maybe you have put something else in God's place. Maybe it's your desire to be the healthiest person that you can be and you're just completely consumed all the time with working out and eating healthy and doing all those things. It doesn't sound like a bad thing, does it? But what if it becomes the thing that we worship more than anything else? Maybe it's our work. We're just constantly driven to work. We find life and success and we feel good about ourselves through the things it is that we are doing. And so we make that our God and we pour all of our attention into it. And we, we strive to be the best at it that we can be. And it just consumes us. It can be a number of things. It can be things that you would never think about. Maybe for some of you it's video games. Speaking probably mostly to the few younger generation that we have in here. Maybe not. Maybe you're older and video games consume your life. Right? But there was a time in my life I know that I could not wait to get home from various activities. I'd go straight to my room. I'd turn on my gaming system, turn on my TV, and sit there for hours. I wouldn't talk to anybody. I wouldn't think about anything else. I would just be there with that game, and it, it was where I found happiness. I put everything into it. It consumed my thoughts. I, I would think about it all day long. I can't wait to get home and turn on Call of Duty and kill some fools. Right? Granted, not the best thought to always have in your life. Okay? But it can be a number of things. It can be a number of things. 
The second one he talks about is witchcraft. Now listen, at first glance, uh, we may struggle to see how this might apply to any of us. And it would be really easy for us to sit here and say, well, that Harry Potter and that Wizard of Oz sure is evil, right? We could go that route and we could say, hey, it talks specifically about witchcraft. And, and maybe Wicca is a thing in your life and you're Wiccan and you're trying to cast spells and all that thing. If that is a literal thing, yes, that is, that is wrong. But listen to me on this. This is something I found really interesting, something I've known, but I'm going to share with you. The word which translates to witchcraft in Greek is pharmakeia. Pharmakeia. It's the same word from which our word pharmacy has been derived from. You see, because witchcraft back in this day involved the use of illicit substances to bring somebody to an otherworldly state of mind. So maybe there's something that you're using in life to transform you to another place so that you don't have to live in the present. That in and of itself is sinful. And it separates us from the kingdom of God. It doesn't have to be drugs. Maybe it's one of those sins that fits in our first category. Right? But anything you use to take yourself away from the present that you're supposed to be in separates you from the king. Now the next eight sins are societal evils. Societal evils. And this is something that if the first two weren't you, and granted for a lot of us they're probably not, but if the first two were not you, this next one will probably pretty much catch all of us. So let's listen to this. A societal evil is anything that causes discord among God's creation. The first thing he mentions is hatred. The literal hatred of another person. Anybody brave enough to raise their hand and say, at some point in my life I've hated someone? I won't make you, but I'll tell you that I have. And scripture tells us what? That to, to hate somebody is to wish them dead. It's as equal to murder as the act itself. And I've been taught that from a little age. My mom hated the word hate because I used to throw it around all the time at my big brother. I hate him. Do you know what you're saying? Do you know what you're saying? And honestly, most of the times with my brother, it was not I wish him dead. There's been a few. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But there have been people in life where I've heard about it, something they've done, or they did something personally to me, and I've thought to myself, man, I hate that person. It would be better if they would just die. It would be better if they would just die. The second thing that it talks about is discord. Discord. It's the natural outcome of hatred. You see, discord is something that happens in life that should never happen in church. We're going to sing a little bit this morning. Discord is something that happens in life that should never happen in church. You should be able to see everyone in this building as your equal, as a sinner who's been saved by grace. And if you fee have feelings of hatred for anyone else in this room, you are causing discord inside of our church. This can apply to families. It can apply to a workplace. Listen, listen. Your fe I need you to listen. Your feelings may even be justified doesn't make it right. Doesn't make it right. It is sinful for us as Christians to be at odds with another one of God's creations. 
not an easy thing to hear. But it is sinful for us to be at odds with another one of God's creations. The third thing he mentions is jealousy. Jealousy. And jealousy really boils down to this, self-centeredness. It's the thought or idea that you somehow deserve what someone else has gotten. Why them and why not me? I've struggled with this greatly in life because I'll break down and be weak for a moment. I never wanted to be a pastor. I maybe have shared that before, but I never wanted to be a pastor. It wasn't my desire. My desire was money. Like when I was thinking about what I wanted to do in life, I searched for, I remember doing this Google search, careers that make the most money because that's what I was going to do, right? I struggled with money growing up. We were poor for pretty much most of my life. And there were times in life where like all of my clothing came from a thrift store. And I remember going back and we would buy things. And I'd come up to mom with a book. Mom, can I buy this? And she'd say no. And I'd say why? And she'd say open the cover. And my name would be on it because we had sold it like two weeks previous. Right? But I never wanted to be a pastor. And I did it because... Two things. One, I couldn't, there was a point in life where I could not sleep at night because I was trying to run from God's calling on my life. And I, I, I just, nothing I tried to do, like I would switch my major. Maybe if I become a doctor and I'm actually helping people, God will be okay with it. Right? But I, I just, there was a time where I just couldn't look myself in the mirror and I couldn't sleep and I needed that to go away. And this may shock some of you, but I don't make a whole lot of money. And my wife and I at times still struggle. Having said that, we also have as much as we need. But I see others, right? I see other people in life who haven't made the sacrifice that I've made, who haven't dedicated themselves to following God. And they have big houses and fancy boats and nice trucks and I just want it. I just want it but I don't have it. I don't have it. And somehow I think because of the choices I've made in my life, I should have it too. I deserve that. That's jealousy. That's jealousy. Maybe you find yourself there. Fits of rage, explosive anger. Anybody say, hey, I... Woo! You can just explode. You can just explode. We've talked about me in traffic before. I literally think about pit maneuvering somebody at least once a day. I cannot believe they just turned out in front of me. I'm going to hit them. Right? We all can succumb to being angry. I'm going to try to fly through this. I know I'm going long and I'm sorry. Selfish ambition, doing whatever it takes for you to get ahead. That's another sin. And any time we do these things, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, what do we cause? We cause fractures in our church and in our lives and in our relationships, and that causes dissensions and factions. It's the result of living a life in quarrel. And then finally, he discusses envy. It's the desire to possess someone else's belongings. The last two sins he talks about are tied to the drink. First, he talks about drunkenness. It's pretty self-explanatory. It's pretty self-explanatory. The next thing he talks about is orgies. And a lot of you are saying right now to yourself, that is not part of my life. But this is what you need to understand. Orgies in this day and age, they were part of worshiping another god. They were part of worshiping Bacchus. He was the god of wine. 
And, and so people would get themselves in these crazy states so that they could do these different activities that were ungodly and, and, and used it to give themselves the liquid courage almost to do wrong. So we must control ourselves, we find in life. And then Paul ends the list with one of my favorite things. He basically ends it this way, and etc. Right? Like this is not an exhaustive list, and etc. See, we all have a conscience. We all know about sin. We all can feel when we are doing something that is separating us from what is right. And in the end, separating us from God. So maybe you didn't hit one of these four. Maybe you hit all four. I know at times in my life, I have been on all four. There have been other times where maybe I've just struggled with one category and I've been everywhere in between and there have been times where I felt like I am on the tip top peak of the mountain and have no struggle whatsoever. And then Satan laughs and knocks me off and back to the grind. See, the fact of the matter is that any one of these sins, like any sin, separates us from God. Paul states that anyone who lives like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, I want to denote something for you. I want you to understand something that I find to be very, very important. If you haven't turned me off yet, I appreciate you. If you have, try to turn me back on. Here's the thing. There is a difference between struggle with and live like. There is a difference between struggle with and live like. Hear me out on this. Struggle with is the occasional pothole in the road. For the most part, I'm doing what God desires of me, but every now and then I get tripped up by sin. I repent. I move forward. Live like is the rumble strip that goes along the side of the highway. Right? You can't live like that forever. Eventually you ride on that thing for too long, your tires will shred. Your tires will shred. That's supposed to be a warning sign for you to get back on the right path. So live like and struggle with two totally different things. But here's the thing about our potholes. If we are not repairing them, as we go through life, eventually our road becomes undrivable. Hashtag go through Illinois. But eventually, if we don't repair our potholes, our road becomes undrivable. And so as we sin, as we move forward, we must repent, we must seek forgiveness, and we must turn a different direction. Because here's the thing, one who has witnessed and experienced the grace of God can no longer live his life going the same direction that he was going before he experienced that grace. Coming into contact with grace changes our pursuit. I'm going to read the end of our passage to you. Galatians 5, through 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. See, coming into contact with God's grace not only changes our pursuit, but our new pursuit is in the direct opposite direction of the fleshly pursuit that we were chasing. Pursuits of the flesh are self-absorbed and self-serving. Our new godly pursuits are all about relationship with others. Grace is to not just be given to us, but to be shared among our congregation. And the greatest thing that I love that Paul says in this passage is that there is no law governing them. There's no law governing these fruits of the Spirit. 
they are free to run rampant. You can never be too kind. You can never be too good. You can never be too patient. You can never be too forgiving. You can never be too godly. There's no law regulating any of this. They go unchecked. There is a complete freedom to pursue these things. That is what grace has done for us. That is what grace should do for you. It should move you beyond those fleshly desires and those fleshly needs. Our purpose is there in this freedom to chase this new pursuit, to find God. What are you pursuing today? What are you pursuing today? If there's something that is between you and God today, you need to be actively working to get that out of there. If your road is nothing but rumble strips, it's time to get some new pavement. It's not easy. It is necessary. It is as sinful to keep grace to yourself as it is to be the one that has sinned against you. Still love me? Because I love you guys. I hope you do. Let's pray. God, I come to you right now. I thank you for this day. I thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that you help all of us to see the truth in this this morning. I pray that you help all of us to allow ourselves to cling to the forgiveness that it is that you showed us and, and to desire to make anything wrong in life right. Lord, help us to be people who are chasing that direct opposite pursuit of the life that we once lived. Help us to be people who are forgiving and kind and patient. Lord, it's so easy to become angry. At times, our anger may even be justified. But yet you still call us to move beyond that to a place of forgiveness. And that's what grace is all about. You tell us to forgive our brother 70 times, seven times. Honestly, you tell us to just forgive without ceasing, to, to always be in a place where we show others the grace that has been shown to us. Help us to be a church who sees the need for one another. Not just those that we're friends with, but those that maybe we don't always see eye to eye with. If there is fracture in this place, God, I pray that you heal it. I pray that you move in hearts to move people toward the place that says, I'm going to work towards redeeming the hurt in this relationship. Ultimately, Lord, help us to be people who desire the new pursuit. We ask all these things in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.